A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to The Shift podcast that aims to tell the no-holds-barred truth about being a woman post-40. Created and hosted by me, journalist and author Sam Baker. This week is a bit of a how to cope when your life spirals out of control and goes tits up special. My guest, journalist Rosie Green, is an unwilling expert on midlife chaos. She was 44, there's that age again, when her contented, settled, literally roses round the door family life was pulled out from under her when her husband and partner of 26 years told her he didn't love her anymore. I just Googled all these women like Jennifer Garner. And I was like, okay, let's look at this. Ben Affleck, Jennifer Garner. She's obviously a decent person with her head screwed on. He's obviously gone a bit mental. And, you know, if you see that from the outside, it just helped me get some perspective. (laughs) That's such a rosy solution. Three years on... Rosie has flipped the pain of that heartbreak around, rebuilding her life and her career. One of the results is her new book, How to Heal a Broken Heart. Listen on as Rosie bears her soul and explains how she got back in the saddle, domestically, professionally and sexually. How are you? I'm good, how are you? I'm good, I mean I'm a bit busy. Homeschooling, I've literally just gone round and shouted at everyone, no one's allowed to talk, make sure the dog goes out. And it's weird busy isn't it and like a sort yeah. of it's not the same kind of thing but it's like just just trying to kind of maintain that sort of professionalism whilst you know your book is obviously about relationships mm. and recovering from being shot on from a great height by a bastard <laughs> but it's actually is really useful for any sort of broken heart actually it is any broken heart any you know, grief, like people dying, career-wise, people who, you know, people have talked to me about sort of not being able to have children and sort of dealing with the grief of that. And I think anything that, you know, your life kind of not panning out the way you thought it was going to pan out, basically. Before we talk about how you pulled it all back together and, yeah. you know, what that's like and, you know, Rosie 2.0 and yeah. all of that, we kind of do need to talk about the horrible collapse. 
You did have like the, the roses round the door family life. I mean, when I heard that you and are we using his name or not? I mean, we could call him Alpha Male because ultimately we coined that together, didn't we? That's true. And you had moved to the country and you'd been together since you were 18. And I mean, when I heard that you guys had split up, I was like, no, because if they've split up, that's it. That's like, I'm trying to think of a character. Well, I felt the same way as I felt when Helena Bonham Carter and Tim Burton split up. I felt a bit cheated. It felt like, no, yeah, there's no hope for anybody. You're on the journey with me, you know, like, and, and that's what a load of red readers have said, you know, I mean, it was under your editorship, wasn't it, that I started writing that column. And, you know, so, so many people were on that journey with me. And I think, you know, we had those kind of, you know, we had rows like other people had, you know, we kind of had niggles and, you know, you're not stacking the dishwasher properly and all that kind of stuff. But I felt compared to other couples that I know, we were kind of sort of at the lower end of the scale on irritation. And I just felt there was that massive solidity. I'd always felt that. And I think everyone who'd ever met him had felt that. You were married to an Athena poster, Rosie, let's be honest. (laughs) I know, he was like, you know, emergency services. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I I was. And he was that kind of strong, solid guy. And he he also, I think I wrote this, you know, he looked at me the same way kind of Harry looked at Meghan. You know, there was that kind of, you know, some people would say to me, oh my God, every so often just catch him looking at you like that you know that's the way it was for so many years and then obviously you know kids or the pressures of midlife and stuff affect you but as I say still know more than anybody else would and I remember actually Saskia who was the deputy at Red I remember I had some pictures taken to go with the column and they were the lovely house and they were the kids and they were thing and she said I can't remember whether she said she shed a little tear. I don't think she would have done, but she said she was just like, oh my God, it just looks so perfect. And she said, you know, and I, I don't know how to say this, but I, you know, I felt envious of it, you know. So mm. it was this kind of picket fence life, absolutely. In the book, you talk about having a kind of a slightly bad feeling about a woman at work. How did that manifest? Because you're not a needy person. You're quite noble. So the idea of you thinking, I've got a bad feeling about that woman at work. How did that? Well, you know, it's so nice that you say that because I shouldn't use the word nice. I know journalistic training. But in a way, and we'll come to this later, you know, that sort of feeling, which was so unusual to me, like I never felt that, you know, like maybe when we were like, 18, 19, you know, there'd be someone that fancied him or whatever, but I would never have, I never felt that paranoia. I never felt that, you know, I didn't have that kind of neediness, as you say, but actually he would then say to me things like, you know, you've been really controlling or you've been really, you know, and then that would mess with my head. So even, even now, two years on you saying you weren't needy kind of feeds into me thinking, okay, I wasn't needy, you know? So it kind of messed with my head that much. Anyway, back to your question. So effectively, you know, he was always the kind of guy that had guy friends at work, but, you know, in the same way that I think lots of us, you know, he relied on me to organise our social life. You know, he was very, very straight. So if there was ever any interaction with any women, it was very straight. I never felt any cause for concern. I think when you're married, you have totally open communications, right? And so I'd never thought about this, having a WhatsApp that popped up and just said, whatsapp it popped up with the message you know Mm. so just one day I was walking past and I just saw this message from this woman and it just felt like it overstepped some boundaries and I was like oh okay that's weird familiar basically and so I just said to him oh that feels weird you know and I just had a really uneasy feeling I remember saying to a friend they were like oh no you know you remember who we're talking about here that's not a problem and then there were quite a few times we just didn't come home at night and he was sleeping in the office and you know supposedly and that was making me more and more needy because obviously I just felt that kind of uncertainty and so in a way then you're in this sort of hideous situation actually in the book I interviewed this psychologist and she talks about how 
she's got a friend and the, and the friend's a female and she's cheating. And um, then the guy obviously is picking up that. And then she's using as a justification for a cheating that he's becoming needy. But obviously he's becoming needy because he knows something's happening, but he yeah. doesn't know what that is. So, you know, you end up in this hellhole of a mess. But anyway, yes, I saw those messages and then he just started to behave in a way that I, he never had. So he's just so cold and he was so angry. I could tell he just changed his focus. And, you know, he was, in the words of Elvis, he'd lost that love and feeling I could you know I just knew it it's horrendous and that is the worst feeling right it's like you're sort of out of control and I just felt like I was trying to kind of steer a car back on course you know skidding on ice and I was saying you know think about the kids think about the life we've built up think about all this are you really gonna implode this you know and he Mm. would be yo-yoing back and forth on that and that was the worst time these kind of four or five months where I wasn't really telling anyone because I just thought if we can get it back on course I don't want that to be our story you know So I wasn't telling anyone. And so in a way, all that kind of shame and guilt and sort of mind fuckery was going on. And I couldn't even get friends to shine clarity on it. Because you couldn't talk to them about it. No, I mean, I did talk to a few, like very, very few people and they would shine clarity on it. But your head is so messed up because the person that you have trusted and known for so long is telling you things and and you don't know whether they're true or not. And sometimes they are true and sometimes they're not true. And sometimes there's stuff that you don't want to hear, you know. And that's what I learned a lot about the splits is is so much about people's narratives, like what they can tell themselves to justify their actions. And that's what he was doing. And then in a way, because I had this agenda, you know, I didn't want him to be the bad person because how am I ever going to come back from that? You know, so we're all telling ourselves these things that aren't true you know what is the truth in that situation yeah because there's some interesting stuff in the book about gaslighting and I think there's a sense at one point you felt he was gaslighting you but also you're almost gaslighting yourself absolutely and I hadn't even heard of that term before and I remember my really feisty friend Nadine I went to see her and you know there was a lot of stuff from him about how I'd been controlling and at one point he said we were talking about sort of the money that he was going to pay and he said I've always paid over the odds you've never put enough in or stuff like that you know and, and, and I was just like oh my god and Nadine was like this is just not true but you really really struggle with that because everything's been decimated so it's almost like you kind of you don't know where your base point of truth is so yeah for me understanding those terms and I think that's what the book is about is trying to understand those mental things that are going on and in a way that helps you kind of move on and understand where your path is forward. At the very beginning when you first found out when you first saw the whatsapps you went out in the garden and when he came out after you punched him not in the face which is what he deserved in the chest (laughs) but then that was like your first and last display of anger wasn't it i mean how did you how did you get your anger back rosie green oh do you know what if i'm really honest i still don't have the anger i still don't have the anger and i'm still you know and this is why i think it's important to show it you know it's this long slow process and i don't have the anger and i think a part of that is because you know you've known me for a long time i'm kind of affable and friendly and all those things and i don't know you know i mean we can deeply psychoanalyze that and say it's about being a single child and it's about you know wanting to make everyone like you or just being that person so i'm I'm not really an angry person. I think society tells women as well that, you know, anger is quite unattractive. And I think I probably, you know, absorb Mm. that. And so the weird thing is I don't have the anger. I still don't have it. I have all the other stuff. I have the sadness. I have the disappointment. I have all of that. But I've never felt the fire of that anger. And I'm actually really gutted that I don't because, again, you know, experts that I talked to talked about how it's very cleansing. And also how in lots of situations it's a right and proportionate reaction to what has happened. And then it's about what you do with that anger. 
and how you use it to go forward. Yeah. Let's talk about you and the aftermath of yeah. you know, the relationship collapsing and, and then your recovery, because that's, that's what matters, really. It's like how you took this shit thing that happened to you at 44. And I'm really starting to think there's a thing about 44. Lots of things happen I, to people at 44. I think it's worth just talking about the sort of physiological effects of it mm. I mean that moment of sort of you know thinking something's going wrong you know sort of thinking shit this is really serious and then that moment and then his sort of subsequent behavior I mean the body's reaction to that I mean I literally I was shaking you know physically shaking all the time and then that transcended as well I think that anxiety to like going into fight or flight I couldn't eat anything I wrote a piece for Elle actually about how I mean we've been in the fashion industry together for a long time how suddenly I was this sort of sample size I mean I'm, I'm you know five foot ten I'm normally ten stone I was eight stone instantly oh my you god know. you must have been like a pipe cleaner because you were I, always yeah. tall slim and gorgeous let's be honest oh well thank you my pants were literally falling off my running leggings were flapping when I got in the bath the bones on my my back was so painful that I couldn't have a bath you know and the kids were saying to me like mum what's you know what's happening you know they could see it as a physical it was a physical and effect and in a way I was quite grateful for that because I think that's the thing about heartbreak you feel so unutterably shit but actually on the outside you look the same right so you're not getting it's a bit like mental health you're not getting that help sometimes so you know I had that I had the trembling I couldn't eat anything and I couldn't sleep like I mean those were like the longest longest nights my mind was just whirring I was waiting for him to come home I was waiting for any kind of morsel of text message to tell me that it was going to be all right you know then I was dissecting it and sending it to like three people you can imagine the hideousness of that so those four months I was mentally at my rock bottom and physically I was so sort of weak as well and I was obviously kind of still trying to keep it going for the kids and you know breakfast lunch tea breakfast lunch tea you know football club brownies all that kind of stuff and so I think in terms of the turning point, one of the biggest turning points was going to the doctor and saying, look, you know, I need some more sleeping pills and her saying, you know, you need antidepressant. I was really scared about taking that because I thought, you know, well, from what I knew about depression, I thought, well, you know, I wasn't before. So now I am like, is that, you know, I thought it was all about brain chemistry and all that kind of stuff. But actually, I think a trauma, which I think, you know, let's be honest, it it was a trauma that Mm. I needed. I just needed that. She said, you know, I just think you need it to get your kind of your body under control, your sleep under control, and then you can get a degree of clarity. So actually that took about a month to get into that a month to kick in. So that was really valuable in my recovery. I think once he decided to go and, you know, something kind of clicked in my brain. And from that moment on, from the moment that he left, I was like, okay, because, you know, before that, as I say, I was unrecognisable to the person you thought I'd be, you know, I'd be begging him. I'd be saying, please don't do this. You know, please don't tell the kids, you know, because once that's happened, it's happened. Mm-hmm. You know, that rosy childhood has gone from that moment, you know. But once all that happened, I went from desperately trying to hold it together to thinking, okay, how do I make this the best outcome it can possibly be? This all coincided with me sort of losing my main job as well. So I sort of, I was jobless for the first, like I didn't have a sort of contract for the first time. And that happened within literally two days of each other. Oh, great. Typical. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think that one of the biggest steps to recovery was I went to see Sarah, who's the now editor of Red, and just said, I just told her everything. And I think, you know, you can kind of try and dress stuff up. But I think women have 
an affinity with other women and they will try to help them if they can. So I said all of this, you know, and I moved magazines and and she just said, look, do you think you want to write about it? And I and I was like, yeah, I do. Because all these people have grown up. Yeah, they all knew the story, didn't they? Yeah, absolutely. And, And actually people have said to me, you know, a lot of them were reading it online, but they said for the first time in like five years, they'd gone out and bought a physical magazine. They were just like, I just need to read this in print, you know. And um, for me, that changed everything because A, I got so many letters from people saying, letters, emails and messages saying, I've been through that, I'm out the other side, it's hideous, you will be okay. I got so many messages from people saying, I'm in it, thank you for not sugarcoating it. Because I think that is the big thing about anything like redundancy or your life not panning out the way you want it to be or, you know, being rejected and dumped is that your ego wants you to sugarcoat it. It wants you to make it more palatable to everyone else. Oh yeah, we just grew apart. You know, it means that you don't have face that rejection. And so I think people were just really grateful for that, that there was someone out there. And as you said, someone who seemingly led this kind of glamorous, lovely life, you know, and the lady over the road was really lovely. And she was like, Jesus Christ, like, if your husband's left you, what chance have I got? Do you know what I mean? It was really sweet. And I was like, well, you know, I'm hardly a supermodel and a, you know, a Mal Clooney. But I think, you know, you look to other people when you're feeling that shit, like I just Googled all these women like Jennifer Garner. And I was like, okay, let's look at this. Ben Affleck, Jennifer Garner. She's obviously a decent person with her head screwed on. He's obviously gone a bit mental. And, you know, if you see that from the outside, it just help me get some perspective that's such a rosy solution isn't it (laughs) yeah exactly something within me was determined to say okay I'm determined to handle this with as much grace as I can and I'm determined to provide a nice life for my kids I'm determined not to sink basically how important were your girlfriends in that Oh my God. I do say this to them all the time. I do say, oh, just, I wouldn't, I don't think I would have got through it. Well, I would have got through it, but I think I'd still be a, you know, I'd be in the Priory or probably not the Priory because couldn't afford that. Um, I'd be gibbering wreck somewhere. And I think absolutely. I mean, in the early days, I'd sort of chain smoke through calls with them. So I'd come off the call from one and go on to the other and, you know, just getting their sense of perspective, getting their sense of being held by them. And, you know, one of the really important things that I learned was that kind of, this sounds a bit woo woo, but this sort of Buddhist saying of like the two hours arrows of suffering so there's a suffering that you're in right now you know okay I feel shit I've been rejected I've been dumped and then there's the projected suffering you know will I lose the house will anybody ever love me again you know will the kids ever recover from this will you know blah blah so what I tried to do was keep those projections at bay because they're not happening and right now I'm sitting in in my bed I'm comfortable I'm warm I'm fed you know I, I think that that to me was really important learning those mental tactics you're still in the family home yeah yes exactly and, and hopefully we'll stay here but I think you know what was interesting is in the early days that was an absolute obsession because I felt we all needed that as security and hopefully we will stay but if we don't I've realized it's not the end of the world you know we'll still be somewhere with a roof over our head we'll still be somewhere warm and dry and there'll be enough money to go to the supermarket and I think you know ultimately you became much more able to deal with those challenges I think there was stuff that was so painful the first time like you know the first Christmas sending out the cards with just me and the kids on you know whereas now actually I feel a kind of I feel a kind of pride of that and I and I and I don't feel embarrassed and I think you know I'm also really grateful you know my mum was a single mum and I, there was so much more of a social stigma around it then and you know all that bollocks about not being invited to dinner parties as a single person all of that you know the Bridget Jones thing you know we've got scales underneath us as single people or whatever I feel like that has gone mainly or I'm very lucky to be in a social world where that doesn't exist I've got a lot of questions about that 
in a minute, oh, as you can yeah. imagine, lots yeah. of questions about being back out there. Do you think you were grieving the loss of this idea of your life and your relationship and Rosie and the person who will remain nameless and the whole <laughs> thing rather than the loss of him? I think it wasn't the loss of him. I think the whole thing, in a way, it wasn't about the appearances to the outside world of it. It was about that certainty of the future. You know, this is mm. how it pan out basically and also I think that feeling that somebody's got your back that feeling that someone cares for you that feeling that you're a team and actually even now all those things like you know you, you sort of just think oh if I if I go and buy that car and then if I drive down the road and the engine falls out you know that's what you always think don't you if you buy that car then it's on me yeah well that sort of sense of it's on me but then also I've realized you know I feel very lucky but I've got an incredibly strong supportive family you know not a sort of 2.4 you know my mum and dad split up it's not a usual family but I feel very lucky to be held by that and in a way that was part of why I wanted to write the book was that I know I'm very lucky I know that I am I'm sort of financially I mean not you know hardly rich but I know that I'm okay and I know I've got a good network and I know I've got access to experts so I sort of feel there are people that don't have that and they don't have the confidence that I have because although he shattered my confidence in so many ways I have a general base point of confidence in who I am. One of the things from outside that's really noticeable is before you were a really successful beauty journalist really popular and you had your rosy column and you didn't really write beyond that you're a business your mum you had two kids and, and it's really striking from outside how you've like completely taken your career and gone that's the sound of a rocket going I always forget that you could nobody's be able to see this so I have to make the sound effects really good so tell me how you took that work thing and turned it around because you've got the book you've launched a website and you're bloody everywhere you know you know that you just have an affinity with something and I just always I mean I did my A-levels and I did quite well at A-level in English but you know I wasn't like everyone was like okay this person's gonna go off and you know write war and peace or whatever but I always knew that my writing could touch people and could talk to people and so when I was like 18 I remember a friend of mine you know I was at university and she said oh you know enter this Vogue writing competition which I did and I managed to win it somehow I only think I managed to win it because they never met me I think if they had met me I would never have won it why not you know I was this slightly gauche kind of brummy girl you know I don't think you know I mean I remember going for an interview at Vogue because I think they had to interview me because I won the thing and, you know, I got asked what my dad did, what my mum yeah. did, you know, what my mum probably not did, but who they were, you know. And so I think yeah. I probably wasn't connected enough. I think, you know, further down my career, I could have worked there, you know. But initially, I was probably not the right fit. But I think, you know, my writing spoke to them. And then I think what happened is I loved beauty and I love writing about beauty. But as you say, what happened is it became more and more sort of sanitised what I was doing because I was so stretched with young kids. And I think, you know, if I do look back on what actually probably were the pressures that meant that the marriage imploded I think you know there's no doubt kids throw a massive pressure into that because who's taking the brunt you know the majority of the childcare, you know all that kind of stuff but it meant I very much was fitting in my writing around them and I felt a real loss of identity because you know you were saying well, you had a really successful career and I, I did you know I kind of went from that Vogue thing and I went to L and you know I was really young to get the position that I got at L and I you know I was firing on all cylinders doing that less about the writing quite a lot about the styling but then as soon as I'd had kids I felt that it was a sort of a massive 
massive compromise in my writing, basically, because I couldn't do as much. And so then when this happened, I sort of wrote absolutely from the heart. And in a way, I wrote authentically. I mean, the columns were authentic, but they were sort of funny, weren't they? They weren't kind of... Yeah, they were surfacey, weren't they? They were surfacey, weren't they? And they were funny and they were amusing. And, and, you know, they really did touch a chord with a lot of people in that position, you know, in the early childhood days. And I sort of was really feeling all the feels in the same way that I did when I was a university student or just coming into London when there's so much uncertainty. You know, so in a way, I think that period of intensity kind of fueled my creativity in a way that hadn't been fueled for so long. And the irony was, I felt like I needed that sort of solid relationship you know, of my husband to be the person that I wanted to be. But actually the irony was I was more successful, more creative, more in touch with who I really was when he gone. It's really interesting, isn't it? You mentioned that in the book and it really struck me when I was reading it that that's one of the things as well that lots of women in their kind of 50s who are like postmenopausal or menopausal say that they feel more in touch with the person they were either as a child or a teenager yeah. at 50 than they did through the whole of the middle that it's almost like or someone described it as a return to the magic of childhood which is a much more poetic way of putting it than I would have put it but I do think there's a slight sense of things become about you a bit more again absolutely and when you were saying that so I was just thinking because I guess most women that have had children they've you know, they've probably left home or they're certainly demanding less of their time and attention. But even that, you know, I've obviously got two kids that are still needing much of my time and attention and I give that to them happily you know I love them to bits but how old are they I, now they're teenagers it's so funny this house is like flying hormones I feel like you know we're all on this sort of sexual learning curve oh my god <laughs> there's so many hormones flying about are you peri now I don't know I don't seem to have many of those symptoms but I have that coil in the marina coil so I'm not sure I'd know oh, if no. I've got no no yeah. you wouldn't so that's fine there's so many emotions flying around I can't quite work all that yeah. out but yeah I, I don't think so yet so um yeah let's wait for that as well hopefully yeah. life will give me a few more years before that kicks in oh, <laughs> won't bank on it love a lot can happen in the next three years like a chatbot maybe your new best friend but what won't change needing health insurance United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello 
Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. So since you mentioned your, your sexual learning curves, I think it's the thing that everybody says. And it's certainly I know it's the thing I think. And when you know my friends have split up with their partners or whatever, it's like, oh my God being back out there yeah how what are they that? saying in a positive way or in a negative way no, terif- well terrifying in the first instance terrifying but you know like this was something that really really interests me when I was writing the shift was that the women who had split up with their partners because a really huge number of people wanted to really yeah. like a large majority but the women who had split up with their partners or you know, long-term partners or subsequent partners they were quite happy sexually yeah either not bothering at all or having occasional partners or having a new partner or but they all said that first time was like fucking terrifying <laughs> well you know i think everybody has a different story and i have to say me and my ex had a very kind of solid decent regular sex life you know and in satisfying and you know all those things and i mean i think like anything it becomes more routine doesn't it so there's a kind of you know but effectively i feel like you know when you have those girls conversation about how often you do it and blah blah you know i was definitely in the sort of top percentile of those <laughs> right but I guess what happened was my main fear when it went wrong and I think this is because I'm quite a sort of an affectionate person who really likes I you know I like to be in a relationship I like to love I like to be loved my main fear was that nobody was ever going to love me again you know I, I just really felt like am I totally unlovable is this ever going to happen um, will I just be you know mauled by our stations to death by the time I'm like 70 in my yeah. old flat you know and I remember actually going on a divorce retreat and writing a list of my fears and that was like number one and so I guess you know for about three or four months that was a fear but I didn't really think about it and then I wrote a piece for the Telegraph which was about I can't remember treatments or something. And after that, because I, I because, you know, lots of guys read the Telegraph, don't they? I had like this, this sort yeah, of. Yeah, but they're normally like 80, Rosie. <laughs> Well, this one wasn't. This was a sort of young 30-something photographer who sort of slid into my DMs and said, you know, can I take you out for dinner? And I was like, oh, my God. You know, and I'd had, like, random kind of messages, but they'd always been from incredibly inappropriate people. And I thought, well, maybe you can. And I sort of, you know, I'm very against kind of mass Google stalking, but I thought I better just check out he's not a total, you know, nutter. And he wasn't. And he said, oh, well, let's meet at Lena Stores in Soho. I thought, bloody hell, you know, like my ex was hipster. Exactly. Like he wouldn't have known that if somebody had like bitten him on the arse. So I thought, okay. And, you know, I just had this attitude to it, which was a bit like, you know, if I ever have something hideously scary to do at work, like I've got to do a talk or, you know, got to do something that I'm really frightened of. I just sort of, I just sort of ignore it until it's really, really closely on the horizon. I know that, Rosie. (laughs) exactly so it was only about five minutes before when I rang my friend and I was like oh shit like you know I'm going on a date and I've never ever in my life been on a date before but a friend of mine had given me this brilliant book called It's Just a Date by this guy called Greg Rehent he was the one who wrote he's just like yeah 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 brilliant because it really does say you know just treat it like a nice lunch you know as if you're meeting someone new and I like to meet new people and and actually you know he was really cute and he was fun and he was incredibly complimentary and you know we had you know nice pasta and wine and by kind of nine o'clock we were snogging in the Groucho Club so I felt like a teenager Snogging. When had you last snogged? Literally 18. And I was saying that, you know, snogging had kind of 
you know, you do all that kissing and actually, you know, that sort of stuff in a marriage, that really sort of like passionate kissing goes, right? I mean, in fact, I always tell this story about a friend of mine who shall remain nameless who like when her husband's giving her the side eye at night, you know, what's what's a shag? She's like, okay, but no kissing. Like she's just like, <laughs> that's not... <laughs> but I, it's amazing. And, and I just sort of, it really re-energized me and I just really, it kind of made me feel hopeful and optimistic and, you know, it was just really good fun basically. And I sort of schlepped off to my aunt's house, like sort of staying the night there. Like, and, and I'd lived with her in London when I first moved to London. So I felt like I was 21 again. Um, I'm going to ask you a really personal question now. Yeah. Was your ex the only person you'd ever had sex with? No, he wasn't. So I'd had a few boyfriends before that, but you know, it was very teenage really when I think about it. So so how yeah. did it feel when you got to a point where you were thinking about I'm I'm going to sleep with this person? I didn't actually sleep with him. I had a few dates with him and he was really nice and fun but you know he was young and and so then I went away to a, a spa with my friend Nadine. We were like basically on kind of not that I needed it at the time like 500 calories a day we were like delirious. And um oh god was that the Viva Mayor? Yes, yeah. yeah. He was like right let's sign you up to a dating app. And again I think you know dating apps used to be so full of shame and stuff and I just think they're not now and also if I can play any part in them not being shameful then I'd like to you know anyway so we sign up to this app called Hinge and we start swiping through and oh my god it was like the mad shop I was like you know I'd heard these terrible tales but I was just seeing these like pretty gorgeous men quite frankly and we were having a brilliant time have they got all the good ones face out like a bookshop yeah (laughs) so the algorithms I don't know how it works but the algorithms do so so in fact in my book I say you know don't get swipers remorse don't get blase you know it basically goes downhill anyway you know from that a couple of guys came up and then a few of them I started seeing and you know that's the whole thing as well like this sort of multiple New York style dating where you're kind of seeing multiple people so you weren't exclusive no and actually I then read a piece in the Saturday Times about this woman who's like her dating tip she charges three and a half grand a day I'm going to tell you this for free like basically <laughs> you you got to get a kind of group of like five or six because I think ultimately I think as women we're naturally sort of can start focusing on someone and then we're waiting for their text and waiting for them whereas if you have quite a few on the go you can be much more sort of easy and free about it you know I mean there are challenges to that as well anyway so from that initial thing like I had these sort of like three or four or five guys and then that sort of narrowed down to two for this sort of first summer and, and how did the- you find time oh my god well you'll always find time for that right yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you know the sexy messages and stuff you know it was brilliant I mean there was some stuff that were felt bit kind of icky or you know you're sort of trying to draw the line and stuff you're trying to you can't you're trying to work out what people's intentions are and you know and so one of those guys I saw quite a lot and we had really good fun and so he was the guy that I ended up you know like repopping my cherry with I think quite a lot of people have like body anxiety and they have anxiety about you know whether they're going to perform well and all those things and and I guess I had a few of those worries but what my real worry was was that if I had sex with them I was going to like suddenly have like those hearts come out of my head and like fall in love with this person and like was Meg Ryan in When Harry Met Sally. Is that what happens when she shags him? Yeah, more or less. There's that scene where she's lying there afterwards and she's all like big, like smiley, lovey, <laughs> like, and he's lying there like stone cold going, what the fuck have I done? <laughs> 
Exactly. So that was my fear. I don't remember that weirdly. And I mean, I've obviously watched that a million times. So that was my worry. And then I was like, oh my God, I can have sex with someone and not kind of have to love them and not be obsessed with them. So it was this whole new kind of grown up world. I mean, obviously you're dealing with emotions. There are some emotions you just can't override by your intellectually analysing it. But for me, it's opened a whole new chapter of how I feel about sex and romance and all those things you know I think I had a very girlish young view about it all so interesting talking to you after having not seen you for ages you're so on it and together and yeah grown up oh thank you yeah I think I am a bit more grown up and I'm slightly less people pleasy although I am still a people pleaser but yeah I do think you know the, the sex thing I just feel there needs to be a column on that basically because I think there's so many women who kind of just don't sort of see that as part of their lives or don't see it as something they should enjoy and I'm not saying that my ex was like this he wasn't I think he would have preferred me to be you know more upfront and stuff so I think you know it's about reclaiming that it's all that Lily Allen stuff you know and I think you know the, she's what she's launched so many vibrators or something hasn't she she's like you yeah. know what you know men talk about wanking all the time you know like why don't women talk about these things I interviewed this amazing woman called the sex doctor you know I get her like Instagram things which is slightly embarrassing when I'm sitting there with the kids but actually <laughs> you know the kids and I, the sex chat is just hilarious now, you know, the sort of stuff they're asking me. <laughs> That's so funny to all be out there at the same time, <laughs> roughly. Exactly. I mean, they're still a bit young, but I did hear this brilliant thing of this friend of mine who's got older teenage children. I think he was like 16 or 17. He was like, this pandemic, I mean, you think it's bad for you. I would have lost my virginity by now. <laughs> <laughs> It's totally true. I'm sure he would have done. Yeah. Oh my God. How are you coping with that? Are you still dating? Just doing it online or? Boyfriend. Exclusive. Yeah. It's almost six months now. And how is it? Is it weird being kind of in a, a kind of a more settled thing with someone else? It's just really nice, actually. It's really, it's really nice. But it, again, it's more grown up. I think, you know, most people you meet at our age have been through a sort of split themselves. So they're carrying that baggage. But I think, you know, the guys that I'm interested in are the ones that have really kind of looked at themselves and looked at why it happened and, and are much more self-aware. So, you know, say there's something that, say there's an issue or there's something that is potentially inflammatory, you kind of find yourself talking about it in a really interesting, you know, why is that? why is that triggering you in that situation and therefore like well actually you know what you're worried about isn't going to happen so you have these much more grown-up conversations is that because you've had therapy do you think I think it's because I've had a bit of therapy they've mainly had a bit of therapy so I think there is that but I also think you know the end of a relationship does force you to look at yourself and look at the way you act you know all those things that are really simple like love languages do you know about them no so basically there are five love languages and it's like how you show affection to your partner uh. now so you might do a service you might make him a cup of tea you might tell him you love him you might hug him there are more I can't remember what they are but actually if that's not their love language they don't feel it in the same way so you know like I think what my ex would do was like I don't know he'd like do the, the hedge and I think I, I just want a hug you know I don't yeah. want you to do the hedge or whatever and the same for me he probably wanted me to you know do the dishwasher. Yeah. <laughs> so I think you know all that stuff makes you so much more you know understanding of what goes into a good relationship relationship and also I think you know that kind of idea of beyond the physicality because obviously the apps you know all you're really choosing on is what they look like and so then quickly understanding that you can't change someone you can't force someone to be the person you want them to be so actually if it doesn't work thank you next you know and, and the same for them for them not to take that rejection personally and for you not to take that rejection personally which is a massive thing yeah that's huge isn't it but I suppose if you've been through the ultimate rejection like you have yeah Dolly Alderton said you know men are like cabs they've got to have their light on and it's 
true you know you I think as a woman you think okay well if I am kind and clever and pretty and slim and all those things and whether they're saying they're in for a relationship or not they're going to be because I'm I'm all these fabulous things and that's just not true you know and also they have a whole background of history and you know things that have scarred them and things that have informed them and you know you have to think well actually you know I may not fit into that for some reason but that doesn't make you a lesser person so for me to understand that was was life-changing oh you've really got your shit together Rosie Green oh my god I so have <laughs> obviously I'll be like losing it downstairs in a minute with the kids like who's taking all the wi-fi <laughs> <laughs> well we're, we're I don't intend fate but we're okay so far have you got your light on have I got my light on I have got my light on but it took me a while to realize because so long was all about them like what do they want what was he thinking about me what did he want in a woman not my boyfriend at the time but just any guy you know really so for me I had to really think about what I needed and what I could manage and I think because I'm a sort of romantic I think well exactly as you say how do you have time for like the online dating or the dating and I'd have to be quite clear on what my boundaries were and what I can manage and actually currently I have a career I have two kids you know however much I love somebody I can only give so much I only have so much time so absolutely I've got my light on but I've got my light on with the knowledge of what I can manage and and what I'd like you know what the qualities are I'd like in someone because you are a beauty journalist as well as everything else fling a bit of advice the listeners way about I don't know skin hair for 40 50 something women okay so part of my recovery was wanting to feel good about myself skincare is really quite simple if you narrow it down it's a good SPF every day I think you need a good antioxidant serum in the morning I like the SkinCeuticals vitamin C ferulic but medicate do a cheaper one then I think you do need a really good cleanser. You know, I've kind of weaned myself off moisturisers a bit because I don't really need one. But then I think, you know, retinols are the thing that really, really do kind of kickstart collagen and will make a difference. I mean, they're just a wonder thing. Retinol works on blemishes, pigmentation and wrinkles. So, I mean, that's a no brainer, right? So yeah, those are my things. But what I really do, because I have rosation, I don't like to pile too much on my face is... I actually use a very simple skincare regime and then I top it up with tweakments. And again, I feel like that's something, you know, we need to talk about. So I will get a bit of Botox, but I'll get small amounts instead of every sort of nine months. I'll go for small amounts every kind of six months. You need to go to someone you really, really trust. I mean, what I realised about Phyllis is it's not about kind of plumping the face per se, although that is useful it's more about providing the scaffolding so if you do it cleverly along the cheekbones it will lift the saggy jaw and actually you know as you get older things happen like you get indentations at your temples and just a tiny bit in there makes a massive difference yeah I know you're like oh really if you feel uncomfortable with fillers there's a new thing called profilo it's not that new a couple of years old and profilo is is a sort of very very thin filler so instead of it changing the planes of your face it actually is just an all over sort of like hyaluronic acid injection. So it kind of just plumps, but it also, so it plumps short term, but it also works long term to kind of boost the collagen. And it doesn't make you look like an alien. Well, you no, don't look like an alien. It so shocks me about the kind of celebrities and things who do that. I'm like, who are you going to? Because ultimately it's about knowing where the limits are and in that stuff and sort of putting a stop on it. I mean, what does happen is sometimes when I first had the Botox, I look at myself and I'm a bit kind of 
bit frozen so you've got that that sort of first couple of weeks adjustment to it I remember Um, the first time that you had Botox and I remember you saying that your ex hadn't noticed yeah so many people said to me you know which is exactly what you want have you been away have you been to a spa blah blah but then I went and had it again somewhere else and this was like 10 years ago and I looked like the joker I looked like I had kind of (laughs) just terrible I think you know it's still hard when people really put me on the spot and sort of say justify it and you know there are a gazillion reasons why not but and a gazillion reasons why too but ultimately for me they work you know and and we can sell face creams till we're blue in the face and they do work for some stuff but for for bang for your buck this stuff's amazing i know there will be some people listening who will go we shouldn't be forced to feel like x or look like y but i do think each to their own i mean i haven't had any treatments but that's mainly because i'm scared to be honest i mean i'm worried about letting the sisterhood down too but i I am scared for this because you were talking about the saggy jaw thing i literally my brain went that's the only thing that i don't like I, i don't care about crow's feet or the like forehead or any of that but the saggy jaw you so almost had me jaw, at saggy jaw the filler will pin that back but there are quite a lot of really good stuff for saggy jaws that they just weren't before like i've had quite a lot of elf therapy it's sort of light therapy and it basically sends kind of thermal energy to the sort of base layers of your skin and causes like micro injury and then what happens is your skin regenerates and it kind of creates new fresh collagen which sort of tightens it all up it's expensive that's the trouble it all but is I, that's the trouble isn't it and then when but you know even in the morning just a bit of facial massage will help that because that'll just be there'll be sort of sluggishness along here as well there'll be build up of kind of fluid so just doing that with your cleanser in the morning will help no i'm not scared of needles i'm scared of looking like a freak (laughs) oh well i've got a list of people that won't let you do that yeah i worry about letting the sisterhood down but i'm you know some people like to have their hair cut some people like to have braces on their teeth some people like no not bother it's up to them but if people ask me what i do then i like to be honest about it i'm gonna ask you the questions i always ask at the end now what's your emotional age well i think my emotional age is a bit younger than i am so everyone always say that because i think i do have that optimism of youth i do think things are going to pan out i don't have the cynicism that some people develop how old then like 32 (laughs) (laughs) you look really uncomfortable it's so funny this question because some people answer it really really easily and other people are just like oh i can't do that okay Give me um, a book recommendation. Can be anything, but a book you'd push on a friend. I have to say, I I really was fascinated by this book on rest by Alex something or other. I'll have to Google it. There's real value in rest. And that is also when you get some of your most amazing thoughts and, and all that kind of stuff, isn't there? So I would recommend his book. Is it Rest by Alex Sujong Kim Pang? That's it, yeah. Cool. And actually, I should say at this point, there are loads of really great book recommendations in your book. Like oh, yeah, there really, are. Really good ones. Though. And actually, I found those ones written by that guy, Greg Brehent and his wife, even though they're very American. There's one called, called A Breakup, it's broken and when you're sort of hanging on to the idea of your ex this is brutal it's brilliant it's like he's over you you know and actually you need to move on you need to make you the center of the stage you know and so actually those were really helpful are you the center of the rosy green stage now no my dog is She's a cabapuchon. Oh, of course she is. You can't just have a mongrel. No, exactly. And um, she's really fluffy and she's really sweet. Uh, What advice would you give younger women? I would say 
please take a step back. Feel that it's okay not to make everyone like you all the time. That is an obstacle to fulfillment. I would say don't waste too much time thinking about your calorie count every day. You're never going to get that back. I remember you and I would always say that we knew the calorie count of everything in Pret. I know, it's terrible, isn't it? I still know the calorie count of everything. I just try not to pay quite as much attention to it. I just wish there'd been a lot less time that I'd wasted on that. Look after your body and look after your brain because ultimately that is what, is going to make you feel happy and fulfilled. I mean, I kind of dabbled in recreational drugs, like I'm sure quite a lot of us did. But actually, I can see the fallout now of people that absolutely caned it really hard. You know, the kind of anxiety levels and the... So I would say, you know, limit the recreational drugs. Try not to think about your calorie count every day and stop trying to please everyone. <laughs> Excellent advice for anybody of any age, actually. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Who's your old bird role model? Oh, well, I'm not sure she's my total role model, but the kids and I watch the Miriam Margulies. You know that thing where she goes around thinking, I just love the way she doesn't give a fuck. I love that. So she's kind of one of my role models. But the real person that exists is this woman called Sue Harmsworth, who created Espar. And she must be 75 now, right? She's as upbeat, as positive, as vital. She feels ageless to me and she's still doing amazing stuff. She's always been about caring for your mind and caring for your body, but she's a super achiever, but she's always got time for her friends. So she is absolutely that for me. You want to be like her? I think yeah. in a way, but a lot oh, younger, I obviously. haven't got a multi-million dollar business though. <laughs> oh, get on that. Yes. What's your superpower? I think it's kindness. Oh. For me, that's one of the most valuable qualities. And I just really feel that actually, if we can all show each other kindness, then the world will be a better place. Oh, and lastly, how many fucks do you give? I give about two fucks. (laughs) (laughs) So I'd like to say I give zero fucks, but I don't. I think we should always be aware of our stamp we leave on the earth, the, the way we leave people in our interactions and stuff like that. So I give about two fucks, but I give a lot less fucks than I used to. That's brilliant. It's been so lovely to see you. We think that this in a way, because it's on a screen, isn't valid, but it is. This is going to buoy me up for the rest of the day, quite frankly. Oh, good. Good. I'm I'm very taken with your headboard and slightly bemused still by the mirror wall behind it. But, you know, (laughs) that's not... Yeah, it's not in a sort of sex sense. It's just, I thought it would reflect light. You haven't got them on the ceiling as well, have you? No, thank God. Yeah. (laughs) Plain white with a few cracks in. (laughs) Oh, it's so nice to see you. Oh, it's lovely. Thank you, Rosie. It was such a good chat. Oh, it's really nice. And when we can meet, please can we? Oh, yeah, it'd be lovely. Thank you for listening. I'd love to hear your feedback. You can reach me on Twitter at Sam Baker and Instagram at the other Sam Baker using the hashtag The Shift. You can hear a new episode of The Shift each Tuesday on Acast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, please do rate and subscribe because it really does help other people find us. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Okay, I have two new obsessions that I need to share with you Impress No Glue Press On Manny's and Impress Press On Falsies Lashes. Trust me, these are getting ready game changers. Both require no glue, so there is no damage to your natural nails and lashes, no mess, and no annoying dry times. Just one step and you're done. Boom. Instant glam. Visit impressbeauty.com slash presson and use code PRESSON25 at checkout for 25% off Impress Manicure and Press-On Falsies.